Come follow us on our journey to get a low-budget DIY feature film from script to screen and beyond. And beyond. Nobody, nobody knows who we are. <laughs> Look at yourselves, realistically, nobody's going to give you that money. Nobody. You don't know who the fuck you are. It's a complete risk. You are unknown. This is our first feature film, something we're going to do together. Uh, you're going to get it warts and all. For now, you're just some pair of idiots like everyone else. Never wait for permission. You just have to start. Give yourself something impossible to do and then just find the bloody way of making that thing happen. This is DIY Cinema Cult. Hello, Mark. Hello. How are you? <laughs> Oh, good, yeah. I felt a little bit Radio 2 smashy and nighty there. Hello, Mark! The year has certainly turned in an interesting fashion for both of us. Lots and lots has happened, right? Don't even know where to start. What do you do? You start chronologically or do you... What do you do? Pretty much straight away, we, we were bang into various aspects of our films. I know I was mm. shooting Old Man again in... in February, beginning yep, of February. Yep, yep, So, So the new year kind of got to a quite a busy start straight away. And, yeah. and what was going on with your film around the start of the year? Well, we did a screening in February, which was very interesting because it's the first time we sort of showed it all to people who don't know the story, really. So we got a lot of interesting feedback from that. It was kind of quite scary showing it to people in the industry, if you like, Soho people, yeah, yeah. you know. And then we've since then, we've done a lot of these kind of extra work in progress screenings. So we did one at um, an amazing event in um, at Fold at a nightclub. So it's very much sort of nightclub kind of environment. Mm. Um, and then another one at an event in Stroud, which was a kind of uh, arts culture record fair type thing, but with uh, Jeremy Della doing his film beforehand and a Q and A. It was really brilliant atmosphere. And all of these in a way have been new iterations of the film. So kind of slightly shorter, slightly tighter, dealing with all of our legal issues in the meantime. But yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's so much going on behind the scenes. It's hard, to, hard not to talk about. Just on the front end of things, because I came yeah. to one of your screenings, the one of the ones in Soho. That's right. And, yeah. and I was just so impressed at how I feel the film had kind of really trimmed down and moved on in terms yeah. of its, its telling of the story. It really felt just tighter in every aspect in a way it's a little bit like you know showing rough cuts to many thousands of people in public mm. while they're you know drinking and talking to me and you know it's been quite an unusual bit of the the process this kind of work in progress screenings um, but each one in a way kind of confirms for me certain things which could do with mm. being tightened and and generally all of the screenings have been fantastic but they all start to tell you a story of what you need to do to get it to uh, a wider audience. I had, you know, fabulous kind of responses from lots of people, but still a few people were like, oh, I think it's maybe a bit long. There's a little mm. bit, it slows down in the middle. I know, and you gave me some great notes and I got some great notes from other people. And you've kind of got to take all of those notes, digest them all mm. and um, sort of go with the ones that you kind of knew already. So now, even since then, uh, we've got another screening coming up, um, but the next one, it, it will be actually 15 minutes, uh, almost 15 minutes less wow. than the Soho screening. So which we, we were just over two hours and at the moment. We're about 151. That's quite a good guide that uh, to go by if there's think there's inklings that you have yourself about the edit if, yeah. they, if they if they become notes that are repeated back to you those You'll are the hear ones it. you should yeah. maybe focus on yeah that's Definitely. good yeah. you know it's a slow process but we but but all of the all of these open screenings these work in progress screenings have been really invaluable ladies and 
drinks to your seats. Settle down for tonight's entertainment. Introducing to you right now on saxophone, Mr. Aaron Trinder. That's right. And playing jazz flute tonight with his ass, Mr. Mark Hardman. Boy, that kid can blow. Sit down, boys and girls. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the DIY Cinema Club. All right, let's go. But anyway, you, you were talking about your your shoot because obviously, I, I mean, in a way, it seems crazy that we haven't talked about this before on on the uh, podcast. You you did the whole last block of filming, right? Yes. So, so we had our second block of shooting in February, which um, was great. We we shot over, I think it was two or three weekends. So we shot another, yeah, show, yeah, probably three weekends. So we shot. A f- it seems like so distant now. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> uh, but it was uh, six days we shot. And yeah, it was, I mean, it was crazy and hectic and, and stressful. And we, we're yep. going to need, we're going to need to do a couple more days of pickups. And we were actually planning to do two days of pickups. We've had to push that back. So, so now the plan is we're taking everything we've shot so far. We're only focusing now on the edit. Our first initial rough cuts will inform us exactly what we need to shoot in terms of pickups. And it's only a couple yeah. of little bits and pieces, but there, there's some little very key elements to the to, to the structure of the end of the film that we want to we want to get but mm. i think it's a good idea just get a rough cut done and then from that we can sit down and go what exactly do we need to get in these pickups just so we're not doing anything wasteful or, or thing, yeah. you know shooting stuff we don't need i did manage to make it on set for the very very last shoot day as well i was very yeah. happy to eventually finally get on set <laughs> yeah you were there for the last day it was great to have you there and um yeah it was quite i mean it's quite a hectic rushed last day but in a way it was one of the most relaxed days because we had almost less to shoot yeah. you know it was it, it was the pub scene so we only had one scene to do yeah, uh, which which was quite nice. It felt like we were on a proper film shoot. Like, it's just all yeah, we've got to yeah, do today yeah. is this one yeah. scene, you know, one scene per day or something. But as opposed to like three or four scenes a day that we were doing previously. I felt kind of almost paternal at the end. It was like I was sort of sat there <laughs> and I felt a bit guilty that I hadn't been as much help as I could have been, you know, just sort of being on set and doing stuff. But by yeah. then, it was clear that you're all such a tight team. And then we did manage to have a pint at the end, which was great. We did. It was, like, yeah. it was a, a lovely vibe. You know, everyone was were still kind of buzzing in a way, even though you were all exhausted and you yeah. didn't have much energy. So I felt a bit guilty not not to uh, not to be as knackered as you all were because oh. it, you did you'd been putting so much effort in. So yeah, it would have been lovely to have to have more of the you know it'd be nice to do some rap drinks eventually or, or maybe it's maybe that will come at the screen one of our yeah, screens yeah. you got, because there was screenings to do and yeah, yeah because there was lot there was other cast members and, and other people who came in to you know assist and everything that weren't there yeah. on the far, final day so it'd be nice to have a proper <laughs> celebration yeah. with them you know totally um, but I mean it's a great achievement and uh, I think it probably makes people realize um you know listening to the podcast and also just sort of getting a sense of how you actually get a film together that it's kind of you know it's so non-linear isn't it i mean the whole process is like a a process of sort of collage or montage or what have you as in you're just getting the bits you need from over here and you're getting some other bits you need from over here and then you look at them and okay there's a few things we didn't quite get it's it's just not the kind of 
the clean, straight process that everyone thinks it, it is. No. As in, you write something, you shoot it, and then you put it all together like a jigsaw. It's just there's no rule book in some no. way, and you can learn. And that gives you ammunition for the next time. But in a way, it's a, it, the the process is sort of gloriously imperfect. When we shot the second phase of production, um, I was looking through footage and we, we shot this stuff of Rich out on the street. And it's the very start of the film where his character's on the, leaving a mobile phone message to his brother. And we were shooting in our local area in Crouch End, just out mm. on the street. And, and we were shooting it quite guerrilla style. So it was just me, Rami, the sound guy, Rich, our actor, and we put Rich on an on an island, on a traffic island in the middle of this junction to get the shot. And we were on the side of the road filming him from far on radio mics. And um, and it wasn't until I looked at the footage, maybe a week later or a couple mm. of days later, that I noticed that one of our local celebrity actors who lives locally to us had walked past camera in the back, uh, Peter Capaldi. Oh, from, yes. From the thick of it and Paddington yeah. and, and what have you. Doctor Who, yeah. Doc, Mr. Doctor Who, yeah. So Doctor Who walks past in the background and he's staring he right down our camera because he <laughs> thinks that we're filming him. He yeah. thinks we're a little kind of crew hiding behind a lamppost. Trying to Doing film it. him, yeah. So, he, so he's sending us like thundering kind of glares yeah. in the camera. He doesn't realise that we're actually filming Rich. And it isn't until... I look back at the footage a couple of days later, I'm going, oh my God, mm. there's Doctor Who in the background. Yeah. And he completely... Malcolm Tucker, he's going to yeah, fuck Malcolm you up. Tucker, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he completely ruins the take. Because, I mean, he, we see him on the high street every now and again. He lives in our, yeah, lives is, in our area. Yeah, he's pretty close, yeah. And uh, but I just didn't expect him. I mean, that's one yeah. of the that's one of the problems of filming in an area like Crouch End. Like you might have to have yeah. some very expensive walk-ons by accident, accidental <laughs> walk-ons. So then I that, so then I was in the situation where I had to be like, so. I've got Peter Capaldi in my rushes and I'm going to have to cut him out of my film. He's not, <laughs> he's going to have to hit the cutting room floor. And I did, oh. I did a very, I did a very initial cut just to, I, I've been cutting a lot of the stuff mm. as, a bit, as I've been going just for myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just to get a, a handle on, just to get to know all of the rushes. Mm. Although now we do have an editor on board, Melissa, and she, um, she cut the scene and I, and I had told her that Peter Capaldi walks through one of the shots, but mm. I think she thought I was joking. I think she thought, she said to me, oh, I thought you meant it was somebody who looked like him. I was going, no, 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 it is actually him. <laughs> and uh, so she did her cut, which was brilliant, better than mine. But Peter Capaldi's in the back of the shot. Oh. So I'm like, right, you're going to have to shave this off. Definitely shave it off when he looks, you can see him right over Rich's shoulder looking down the oh. camera. Got to take that out. Yeah. But we might have a little bit of Mr. Capaldi's shoulder in the shot. So in a Brilliant. sense, he is in our film. He's in your film. Well, like, maybe, know, maybe, maybe not enough to put him on the poster, I don't think. Yeah, maybe. well, but but maybe you could just sort of deep fake him and he just put <laughs> your face in or something like that, can't you? You are listening to the debut feature film podcast. This is DIY Cinema Cult. I was thinking about the fact that since we did our last podcast, AI was this sort of vague, you know, oh, you know, um, Skynet and all that. And mm. since the podcast that we did last time, mm. AI has almost completely taken over the the news. Now yeah. suddenly what was a kind of a distant, oh, you know, they'll never quite get it right. But, you know, yeah. hey, at yeah. some point now the world has turned entirely so what do you think of that because obviously not only is it going to affect the uh post-production world like you know you'd be able to sort of deep fake peter capaldi's face and turn it into your own 
yeah that's, that's almost like old hat now that kind of thing but there's there's all this other implication with it all because um you know uh the writers of of uh of uh, Hollywood at the moment are kind of on strike and the studios are exploring using AI instead of writers to uh, to write their scripts for them oh, with a you know with a human kind of involved somewhere yeah. along the line yeah so we we really have sort of gone through the mirror and come out the other side a little bit haven't yeah. we since since our ritual at the top of Ali Pali I know I don't know what I don't know what to make of it I think that there's a kind of hysteria going on at the moment around yeah. AI and I think that once it calms down I think it will be become more of a tool for some kind of human expression because I still think that without having a human element behind it behind mm. something like behind a tool or, or or a form of art or what have you without that human connection i feel like it falls kind of slightly flat mm. for me anyway and i, and I think that uh, yeah I, I just think that having something completely generated artificially it kind of there's some kind of emptiness there mm. in, its, in its essence that will that somehow it, be felt by the viewer yeah yeah I, I, unless I, unless you become to a scary place where ai art's being created for ai eyes to appreciate and then we yeah. start to then you start to go on a whole new mind-bending uh, gist on it but i just yeah. feel for human beings it's art is all about human communication right and i feel like the ai mm. element to it is interesting as a novelty but maybe mm. will become absorbed into it'll become another mode of expression or, or a tool that we can use mm. What do you think about it? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think, um, you know, I have ex so I have done some playing around because I think, you know, like everybody, I was quite curious to see how good um, it is. So I've played around both on the visual side with things like Mid Journey and um, mm. Runway. And uh, I've played also on the sort of words side with um, ChatGPT, etc. Mm. Uh, in various capacities. I've asked ChatGPT to write me a log line for my film, did a pretty good job, but it was a bit vanilla, you know. Yeah. I, I asked it to, um, I fed it information and I asked it to, in some way, um, uh, give me a kind of perfect structure for it. And it gave me a pretty consistent, but a fairly vanilla answer, as in mm -hmm. it wasn't wrong and it was very well told, as in it was very clear. Um, but what you realize is that it has a specific mode of um, explanation, which is obviously built around a fairly kind of um, standard uh, structure. You know, it postulates, mm. it gives you some meat to the bone. It gives you potentially, um, you know, a kind of an alternative perspective. And then it summarizes. It's 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 a little bit like a kind of sixth form of writing an essay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's very good at it. And I think where, where it will potentially be useful and where it will definitely be used is the kind of floods of um i suppose fodder of content yeah in a way you know where where it's challenging is lots and lots of us i suppose uh make some sort of a living in the creative industries juggling the things we love doing with some stuff that we kind of do for money well a mm. lot of our stuff for money doesn't need to be art actually and a lot of it isn't mm. art it's kind of somewhat kind of uh fodder and i think a lot of that will go because a lot of it will become repeatable and programmable i suppose there's a sort of bigger story there as in well maybe you know it's not going to write 
the screenplay for 2001, it's not going to come up with this sort of story and be able to execute kind of a David Lynch film. It's not going to have the sensibility of Jane Campion. You know, it's not going to be that close to human sensitivity. But for a lot of what we actually consume or a lot of what a lot of people actually consume, it will be good enough. You're right. It's never going to have those, or at least not yet, have those kind of revolutionary ideas that come from those quite genius minds, like you say, like a Mm. Kubrick or a Lynch, because they give you something that you don't know you want or need yet. It's some kind of a new idea that maybe you haven't even thought of, whereas the AI is going to give you an idea that has been thought of because it's more generic and it's more logical. And It'll be able to do a funny version of a Kubrick. Yeah, because it will just study Kubrick and then it'll kind of Kubricky, you know, create yeah. a sort of simulated whatever, but it won't originate something because in a way it doesn't know human feelings, emotions and connections. So it doesn't re- we it will only ever give us what we give it. Yeah. Um, but uh, there is definitely a worry, I think, in terms of where it has actually gleaned all of its information from and effectively it's gleaned it from humans Mm. and a lot of these big corporations are going to make a huge amount of money off of this this these various kind of uh systems in the end it's a kind of a huge example of plagiarism as in you know Mm. that these these systems have plagiarized on mass human intelligence human creativity human um ingenuity and then and so all of that's been swallowed up and then it will be given back to us for some sort of price. And it will mm-hmm. then it will also undercut huge amounts of, you know, people working in, um, well, not just creative industries, but, you know, uh, yeah. you know, coding and, uh, you know, administration management. I mean, it's, you know, it will go across the board, but it's gleaned all of that from humans and humans because mm. it's what it's where's it got it from? Well, it's got it from all of our output on the internet yeah well i I do know a couple of promo producers in tv who have been just for a laugh and for the novelty of it Mm. when they when they submit scripts for promos one of them out of the three that they'll submit will be ai written yeah and and they and they won't they won't say but 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 they will just submit one of them just to see what would happen and of course AI is going to write the tick box generic script that absolutely. marketing departments are absolutely going to love, right? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and part of the battle of being a creative within television, the television industry, is that you're constantly trying to fight for unique ideas, you know, in spite yeah. of a marketing department who want more something more generic and more something that's more kind of like you say vanilla. So in a way, if AI does take over, that's the kind of area it'll probably take over in kind of promos quick ads, yeah. you know, online content, radio ads. That means it will just be, there'll be less opportunity for little interesting ideas yeah. to, be, to be pushed through by a human mind, you know? So it yeah. will just kind of bl- make everything slightly more bland in a sense. In a way, it's kind of what the internet has had a habit of doing anyway, as in yeah. the internet's ability to kind of create groupthink en masse and as a sort of an entire society. And it's sort of, you have an extremism that's been created. We become polarized by it. And so in a way, that's the nuances of, of um, both politics, but but also maybe art are kind mm. of being, being rubbed out. You know, Hollywood's a great example of it. You know, they now contest so thoroughly in terms of data analysis you know how 
a certain story or how certain stars or certain they can test it so thoroughly ahead of time because obviously they're going to spend hundreds of millions of dollars mm. on it but they can test it so thoroughly that any of those nuances any of those little edges can be walk, worked out before it's ever released on the world whereas mm. obviously a lot of the we were talking earlier on about a process is always imperfect we kind of often connect to a certain imperfection in art we love mm. we love lynch because there's a certain mystery element there things aren't fully rounded off things aren't clear is there's not necessarily you know a through line through everything there's just some element of uh there's an empty space for us to bring to it and mm. i think a lot of that stuff is just very unlikely to ever get a place <laughs> to, to be seen yeah, unless yeah. it's extremely low budget and it somehow finds its way through because of this this world that we're in and then and a, and i think an ai is very unlikely to create it may create it but the human to, who says yes let's do that mm. is not asking it to do strange things it's asking it to come up with surefire yeah. hits and yeah. so this is this is where we're probably entering an even more efficient example of of uh you know the homogenization the kind of vanillaization of yeah. art and culture in some way Still haven't got to that bit. Um, was that we went to Abba Voyage? Oh yeah, and we saw the um, the Abba concert, which was how was it? It was kind of fascinating mm. and brilliant and a little bit sad as well. I don't know. It was right. kind of a weird, weird mix of because on the way there, I was kind of I was kind of really excited because I wanted to feel a bit like I was in Blade Runner, you know, going yeah. out for, going out to watch a gig in Blade Runner and you know the future and yeah, yeah, slightly there was something slightly dystopian about it. The fact that we were going to see ABBA in the seventies tonight, yeah, uh, there was something quite wonderful about that. So I was very excited, and I've never been a massive ABBA fan, but of course. You know, my mum was and the tape was always in the car and the songs yeah, yeah. are just kind of burnt into your mind. So it's part yeah, of your yeah. childhood. I was kind of thinking on the way, I'm sure Paul McCartney and Ringo are having meetings right now about doing a Beatles one. You know, in the mm. future, you're going to be able to see Jimi Hendrix play. You're going to go to a Frank Sinatra gig. You're going to be able yeah. to do all this. But when I was there, I kind of, my mind kind of changed slightly. I thought, because... I, what I felt was one when, when I was there, first of all, the audience is slightly different. It is like going to see a gig, but also people are walking in and out to go to the bar. There's something slightly jukeboxy about it. Yeah. Because you're not seeing a, there is a live band there. There's a band there with backing singers and everything, but still the human mind can go, this yeah. isn't the ABBA. I can go and have a piss now. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I was thinking to myself, right. If this was Jimi Hendrix on stage, everyone will be chatting and having a little dance and you yeah. know going going in and out to the bar it would be more of a jukebox kind of a vibe to it yeah. even more so but i also found it as joyous as it was there was something quite sad and poignant to it which was the mm. fact that 
first of all, there was a, there was a real human connection there in the fact that all of these people on stage were still alive. They were just old now. Yeah, they couldn't uh, do what the holograms are doing. They can't doing. possibly do because it's like their 30-year-old self or however old and they're amazing. Mm. And they they look slightly even better than they did in the you know late 70s or what have you. A, yeah, because they're CGI representation yeah, or whatever. Probably because yeah. they gave notes back about, can you, can, yes, can you sort make my ass nicer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so they looked amazing and they'd come to the front of the stage and they'd do a bit of banter. They'd talk to the audience, but it was them now so that you know can he can hear that their voices are them right now but it's really them what? talking but yeah. but they, but so hang on a minute i don't quite get it it's all a hologram right yeah as in but yeah. but then there's but but the voices are the people now pre-recorded doing banter or yeah 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 so so like bjorn or whatever will kind of walk to the front of the stage and then he'll start saying he, the first that he he kind of comes i think they come out and do one number then he comes to the front of the stage and he kind of goes well uh, i suppose this is what time travel is really like and you kind of go yeah yeah i guess it, i guess it is and he goes because here i am on stage you know as i looked in 1977 or whatever and mm. it's just you, you're just kind of going you're kind of really you get really pulled into the poignancy mm. of everything what you're seeing is marvelous yeah mm. and there is at the core there's a there's kind of a sadness because you know he's mm. a 78 year old guy mm. um, i mean i'm not gonna feel too sad for him he's absolutely coining it only he's just sitting in stockholm just yeah. laughing laughing at all the money just, oh, just yeah dropping, just a yeah. huge ka-ching <laughs> yeah, so but at the same time you know it is sad you know it is kind mm. of sad and just go you know seeing your younger selves up on stage in front of you in a, a very realistic way mm. you know you know the technology is almost there to completely convince you of course it's not mm. quite the human eye can just tell when something's slightly off but it's done in it's staged in such a brilliant way so it's sta it's staged like a real gig so they're there on stage and they're the right size so they look they're kind of small they're over there and then you've got big screens at the side mm. uh, shooting close-ups of them so everything matches so it's completely mm. the realism of the whole moment is completely captured yeah. so there's there's real lighting rigs but then there's also cgi lighting and it all is seamless mm. um and it's just brilliantly brilliantly done then they'll do a couple of numbers and then it'll go to like a full screen video animation bit and then when they come back it's a costume change so they're all in different <laughs> costumes so they keep up that pretense that this is a real it took, them, it took them three minutes yeah. to get, get their spandex off and yeah. to get their kind of bingo wings on yeah exactly isn't and that funny why you know why bother because obviously they could actually have them turn into godzilla in front of you and, and well this is it this yeah. is it I, I, and i think maybe we'll get there in the future but this bridging experience is yeah no you're what you what really are watching abba in the 70s which is why yeah. it was quite baffling and quite yeah yeah weirdly pulled at your heartstrings because you go yeah but i'm not and, I'm and also there was no side videos when abba played in the, the no. 70s there was no close-ups and whatever. There was just some people on a stage and yeah. some lights, you know, and, and the band or whatever. And, and, and also because the venue is purpose-built around the show. Yeah. So the lighting show, the light show is possibly the most incredible I've seen for a single gig because it's yeah. just designed, the place is designed to do that show. So it's kind of no limits on what you could possibly do with lights and, and staging mm. or what have you. And in that sense, you kind of think, you know, if ABBA from the 70s did get in a time machine and travel to 2023, yeah, with all the weight of their, you know, their back catalogue on their historic success, 
this is probably the kind of gig they do. This is how much money they'd have behind them. This is what it, exactly what it looked like. I, I just thought if I was watching Jimi Hendrix, that's what all I could kept thinking. If it was Jimi yeah. Hendrix I was watching, it would be less emotive. But yeah, yeah. If, if it was a Beatles one, which I'm sure is they're having meetings for right now, that would work because, you know, Paul and Ringo are still alive and there's quite that emotional thing of seeing John Lennon and, you know, and George yeah. Harrison on stage would be quite impactful. Uh, I did see Paul McCartney at Glastonbury last year and uh, mm. my... My youngest daughter, Ida, did actually fall asleep on my shoulders while watching the one of the last remaining Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> so she might appreciate the kind of CGI version in 10 years' time because now yeah. they get into the music. But They did that moment, didn't they, in that gig when he, he sang with John Lennon, which I thought was yeah. quite brilliant. Well, it's, again, yeah. it was it's almost like this kind of conversation with the past yes, yeah. that, that uh, is now possible through all these technological means. And it's a kind of nostalgia, but it's also somehow that, you know, we're so it's like fighting against the dying of the light. We're so desperate mm. to kind of connect with these old things that somehow we, we're literally reanimating them like kind of Frankenstein in some yeah. way. Does that mean that, you know, new things don't get a space? Well, this is what I was saying to you about me reading Mark Fisher and his theories of capitalist realism. It's the fact that we now live, now culture is there to feed capitalism. So we're stuck yeah. in this bubble, which is kind of, which acts as a kind of echo chamber that yeah. just repeats the past for us, for, for, yeah. for, for our viewing pleasure. And ABBA is the monolithic current example of that, you know, the yeah. ABBA voyage gig. And um, but also, you know, the the way that commissions, I suppose, are made in Hollywood are, is is an example of that. Because yeah, if you think about the monoliths there, um, well, the Star Wars uh, universe just keeps on going and going. That the Marvel universe just keeps on going and going, and all of these were actually ideas from the sixties and seventies. But where is the space for very new, different voices? for surprising things, things that are are outside of human experience thus far, or that seem to open a door into something different and new, because well, yeah. different and new won't necessarily come from the mainstream. It, it always comes from the fringes, but fringes, yeah. as we know, less and less resources for the fringes. And you're, and you're quite right. Like It's like, where is the new young revolutionary idea mm. going to come from? And, and there isn't that much room for it and again going back to the capitalist realism that's that's the depressing part the, the part of that philosophy is that the the room for that is getting so narrow that it's almost impossible and i almost feel like what your film uh, is the the time the time that your film is describing is almost one of the last examples of that mm. moment where an idea or a feeling or a, 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 an idea of a different way to live your life has really pushed through and made an impact on society as a whole. Yeah. But as DIY filmmakers, Mark, maybe we're the last hope. Maybe we're, maybe we're the Rebel Alliance. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in some ways, this is probably the only place, as in we aren't beholden to anybody at this stage. I mean, I I mm. am now at that point in my film where because of economic realities, I'm having to look 
for ways to finish it that that aren't just crowdfunded. And I'm starting to have all those conversations with distribution and sales. I've been very, very grown up recently and I've I've actually started to, I've joined a a kind of producers union. um, Wow. And uh, I'm starting to have Zoom calls with people who can actually explain to me how all this stuff works because it is, um, it is like a lot of these things, you know, it's like a, invisible world um mm. unless you're in in some way how do you ever find out about it so i had a great conversation with a very experienced person in sort of film film uh production film uh management you know very much an insider today who because i've joined this sort of union means I've, i can access some of this knowledge and understanding right now. right funny enough i saw a great music doc the other day i saw the polystyrene one have you you must have yes. watched that yeah and in fact i am a cliche yeah, I've had some vague kind of involvement with some of the people who helped put it together. Yeah, so, yeah which yeah. I thought, which I thought was, I mean, one of the best ones I've seen recently. And I, I noticed that was a Sky original, so I wonder what happened there. Did was Sky the kind of person who stepped in at the end to sort licensing out, and was that? Uh, would you imagine that would have been the kind of? Well, result? I can I can safely say yes because yeah. I I, <laughs> you know, I, I have some understanding of of how they went through, it. but they yeah. they started the process in a similar way to me, as in they mm. had an idea, they had access, and then they did a Kickstarter. Um, right. So the start of the process was very similar, um, and and then at some point they got distribution and uh, yeah. it, and then it gets uh, yeah put onto mainstream platforms. Have you got any kind of timeline in your brain for the film, for your film? Um, well, we haven't solidified one yet. I've, I've always thought by the end of the year, I'd like to have a pretty substantial cut done. But, you know, at the moment, we're kind of just backwards and forwards in a little bit and and you know working on a couple of scenes and it's coming on really great she sent some stuff through and it looks good but it's, mm. it's always it's always hard because you know your first the first cuts that you see back you always have to you know as a filmmaker you have to uh not be terrified by them because they can be slightly daunting things to look back on because mm. although the editor, any editor, and and in, in in this case Melissa, she's done a perfect a perfect cut of the chronology of the story. Yeah, the the logic of everything. Everything makes sense. Everything's in its right place. Everything where is where it wants to be. Um, but obviously, you've been dreaming up all of this detail and nuance in your mind that you've mm. been putting into the script and been trying to trying to get it into the performances for months and months and years. And of course, there's lots of that detail that's missing. Mm. And it's not that it's not there, it's just that it isn't shown yet. So, you know, you, but what we want to do is get a, a rough cut and then we can go back and start working on its timing, mm. essentially. It's just the timings yeah. of everything. <clears throat> but particularly in things like comedy, you want to just make sure it's got all of that detail and nuance and subtlety yeah. that you kind of want it to be. Want, it's, want it to it's, have. It's the the assembly part of it is in a mm. way that the it's the the blocking out is is often in some ways the kind of most ugly version of the film. Yeah, but you just have to do it. Unfortunately, it's the process you have to go through. You have to see this kind of boring, dry start to finish 
thing yes before you can actually start to get into the the mood the the energy of it the yeah like you say with your case particularly with comic timing with the uh, emotional beats and then you know that if you can if you know they're there that's fantastic but if you suddenly go oh we just didn't get it that's the that's the nightmare isn't it well but, but i mean um, that that's the worry you you almost you have to this is why I wanted to get my hands on the footage as well myself yeah, and cut yeah, because yeah, I know I, I, I know that those things are, are there. So, but you know, it could be if I hadn't have done that, I could see a cut come back to me and, and go, "Oh my god, I thought I'd caught some caption something else, and it's just yeah. not there." Yeah, and it yeah. is there. It's just editing is so complex, and it it takes so much to bring out. Yeah, you could take the same footage and make a completely different film. It's great so far, and Melissa's great, and. Um, you know, she's kind of, she's she's super excited about the project in it for the long, long haul. So I think mm. we'll just be working on it for the rest of the year. You know, it'll be, <laughs> it'll, it'll be, it'll be long because, you know, because we don't have any, you know, there's very little money in our post-production. So yeah. it's, or there's none uh, currently. So it's, um, yeah. it's just a case of when we get the time to do it, when Melissa gets the time, when we get the chats on the phone and when we can review cuts and, mm. uh, but of course, we don't want it to go on forever. You know, we no. you know, we, we, we want to bring it to an end as, as soon as, as soon as we possibly can. But unfortunately, we don't have the luxury of having loads of budget to just buy Melissa's time for the next, you know, three or four yeah. months. Unfortunately. Now you have. Uh, you vacated the the sort of hurly burly of London. And yeah, you've, you've you've taken yourself to a place with a little bit more space, a little bit more ambience that perhaps will inform your creative kind of thinking in a different way. So tell us a little bit about your yes. transferring of your um, your life and family to a different place. Yeah, well, me, Debbie, and Jude have all moved to Saint Leonard's on Sea, down on yep. the south coast, <laughs> near Hastings. And, you know, it was in our plan for a while because we were just, we, to be honest, we were struggling a bit in London just financially, you know, paddling away like mad just to keep our chins above water, really. And, um, and of course, that leaves you no room to or space to be creative at mm. all. You know, I'm, tr I'm trying to make an a indie feature film on top of that. It's quite, it can be quite troublesome all around. So, you know, we decided you know we were going to make a break for it do a bit of a change of scenery change of lifestyle to try and buy myself a bit of time and space to be more creative mm. it, it's it's lovely you know suddenly i'm like mm. a sea person like if i don't see the the sea in a day i feel weird like there's times like oh, i haven't seen the sea today and i walk down the street and have a look at the sea and i'm like oh we're fine now <laughs> I went for a swim in the sea this morning. Oh, wow. Amazing. I'm going to make it a thing of every morning, every month. I start the week every Monday morning with a swim in the sea and I'll finish on Friday morning with a swim in the sea as well. Oh, so it's become part of our, my routine. And it's just, yeah, we're kind of just seaside people now. When the old man is out and screaming and people are 
mm. looking at it and, and so on and so forth. I want to have a couple of scripts ready to go, ready to show people when they ask. Always a good so, idea. What yeah. are you doing next? Or what are you doing now? Got to be done. Yeah. And, um, but of course, you know, you know, if you're a person who's got, you know, trying to hold down a job and maybe you're a parent and you've got kids, you know, your time to write scripts is completely limited mm. or non-existent. And so, mm. you know, I was pondering on this about, you know, and I have a bunch of ideas. I have like four or five script ideas that I would really like to work up to mm. first draft as well as, well as, as routine, which I'd like to develop mm. further. And I've had some ideas about how to rewrite that particular mm, script mm, mm. and so i was like well how do you go about doing that when you've got no time i came up with this little idea which i've been putting into effect which is doing one hour bursts of writing so only ever doing it for one hour because because what you often do is when you don't have time you think oh i never have time to write okay i'm going to do sunday morning and i'm going to do three hours on sunday morning you do three mm. hours on sunday morning you get a bit done and then you're going to, and then you go, yeah, every Sunday morning, I'll do three hours. And the next Sunday morning, something happens. And then you don't, you don't do that Sunday morning. And then you mm. think, and then you say to yourself, see, up. see, mm. I told myself, I know how any time, fuck it. And then you don't do any writing at all. Yep. So I thought, well, if you could do one hour a day somewhere in your day, uh, whether it's early morning, midday or late at night before you go to bed, if you could do one hour, maybe that would at least get you some, that would get you pages written, right? Mm -hmm. And and my idea was to do, I'm, I'm calling, I'm, I've been calling them like shuttle runs. You know, like when you when you do like physical training, you do like a little shuttle, shuttle runs mm. backwards and forwards back. And the idea is that they're very short bursts that then build up into, build up your stamina, build up your strength. Mm. And so in a way, these writing sessions are like little shuttle runs. So you only do 60 minutes. And what I do, I time myself so at the moment, the script that I'm writing is a horror thriller. Mm -hmm. So very, very different to the old man. Mm. So what I will do is I'll give myself one hour. I will put a timer on. I will um, put headphones on that are either at the moment, because it's like a moody kind of horror piece. I put on dark ambient music, mm. so, like, something with no lyrics or anything like that. But also what would... I've done in the past as well is like put, even put on white noise, but on headphones. So just you're mm. completely cut off. So for that 60 minutes, you give mm. only to that script and you, and you, you only write, like you're not researching. If, mm. if you research, you do it outside of the hour. It's all pages. So yeah. Right, right, right. For one hour. And then when the hours, when the hour stops, you stop, even if mm. you're in mid flow mm. and what happens, you stop on 60 minutes always by the time of the end of 60 minutes you have something in your mind that you just want to write you're about to write and what i do is i stop on 60 minutes and i give 10 minutes to turning the music off take the headphones off and the next 10 minutes i write what i'm going to do for the next hour mm. the next time i do the hour so then i'm primed for the next hour so i'm almost looking forward to the next hour so when i sit mm. down to the next hour i'm not cold i'm not kind of going oh, what should i write what's this scene what's going to happen in this scene i already know exactly the beats i want to right so mm. actually it makes you so more fired up and prepped as as a, as a form of writing and you know because if you do three hours you'll do like a, maybe a good 20 minutes half an hour then you'll fade and you'll kind of get lazy or yeah. bored or tired but this seems to keep you in a state of quite productive writing followed mm. by a little bit of prep that primes you for the next one i remember aaron sorkin saying something similar that whenever he's writing it's like playing pool. Like he used like a pool analogy. Like in pool, half of the shots you do is teeing yourself up for the next two shots down the line. And that's yeah. what he does. He goes, you know, give yourself something to look forward to when mm. you sit down in the next writing session. So that's kind of what I'm 
kind of building into this. And so far it's working great. Like I did it for like a week or two before we moved and I came away with like 40 pages of wow. a, a new script. So not editing, not going back and kind of no. rereading and redrafting. Because no, no, no. that's always the thing, isn't it? You're always like, oh, this is a mess now. I've got to go back and sort all yeah. this stuff out. But uh... no, no. But and but but because you're kind of writing and then prepping for the next day, you keep you're kind of keeping your mind in it anyway. So you don't really mm. need to read back. You kind of you're totally living in it. If you're doing it continually, day after day after day, the mm. script is really alive in your mind. And mm. when you're not writing, it's you're thinking about it and you're thinking, oh, wow. I can put that into the my next hour. And an hour is more achievable even when you've got kids you know you can kind of say well once he's in bed you know you have to say to your partner well i'm gonna have to, to you know stick my headphones on for what it's only one hour and then i'm done you know i'm gonna get my right done for an hour yeah and um it's kind of quite an achievable system because it really does get you those pages done over mm. time the the other option is you just complain that you never have any time and no pages get written no scripts yeah get yeah 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 you've yeah. got all these ideas in your head but at least this way for better or for worse you're getting them out of your head and onto the page. Yeah. I've always admired your uh, ability to be uh, quite sort of systematic and productive, Mark, as in uh, I, you know, I kind of ebb and flow. My productivity level is sometimes very high, sometimes very low. Sometimes I'm very sort of broken up. Sometimes mm. I'm in the zone. But actually, I think you're really, you've done, a, you know, amazingly well considering you've, had a a newborn to a toddler to a three-year-old throughout this process and you've managed to stay super productive and I think you're kind of you know onto something with these sort of systems that just sort of keep you in a disciplined way a little bit like going for your swim on Monday and a Friday just yeah. having some sort of you know uh markers in the sand to be able to go I've done something I've done this and that is a step forward to I think often people, you know, writers set themselves up to fail in some way or almost to prove themselves right in thinking you know mm. yes i don't have enough Too time hard. to write yeah or it's because i've got a you know a day job it's because i've got three jobs or it's because i've got three kids or mm. you know there's all these reasons that you know that they that they can't write and and, and they'll and they'll give themselves too high a bar which they'll fail and then they'll go see mm. i'm right you know i doesn't yeah. i can't possibly do my life I've, just doesn't fit yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and, yeah. And, and most people don't have the, the luxury to languish about and wallow around in free time and have all the mm. money to just sit around and write you know but people still do somehow write screenplays and scripts and yeah. you just have to find that way and, and if i'm sat down for that one hour if i can't write anything i don't beat myself up about it but what i will do is I will, it's almost like meditate on that scene. Mm. I will just keep my mind in the scene. And even mm. if even if my fingers aren't moving, I'm kind of living in it. Okay, those two characters, just imagine them sitting together. What mm. will happen next or how will they feel or, you know, and you could almost meditate on it and then scripts will, you know, ideas for, you know, dialogue or scenes will come mm. from that, but you can't take yourself out of it. You can't go, oh no, it's not happening. Or panic and look for some, another thing that, you know, people who, 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 you know writers do is that they'll go right you know interior police station interrogation room and then they'll go 
oh, what's the protocol here with their, you know, interrogation? Who says, who's sitting in the room? And, and then they'll go and Google they'll it. Start, yeah, they'll start they'll to Google start with, Yeah. <clears throat> and then, then they're two hours on Google. And I always think, mm. you know, and I don't do any of that. If I'm in a scene that I don't know anything about, I will just live in it and blag it for mm. my mind. And yeah, then once, yeah. I'm, once I'm out of that one hour little shuttle writing session, that's when I can Google it and then bring that to the next yeah that, that's hour. that's interesting yeah i think uh i definitely suffer from that kind of um oh i'm <clears> a bit <throat> stuck so i'm gonna go and look as to you know do this yeah. and then you realize the time you, you haven't moved on in the timeline you know if i have to sort yes. of fix something and you think i'm just in, still in the same place and uh yes that might be useful but actually i've not got any further and the go, going further is a feeling in itself which can uh which i think just achieving small amounts of goals yeah. no matter how small gives you little dopamine hits that yeah, um yeah. that it's very easy to replace with the clicking on links <laughs> which give you another kind of dopamine hit and they are unfortunately the ones that don't really produce anything they they just there's always this sort of element of researching endlessly but you know yeah. never actually getting anywhere never wait for permission you just have to start mark and i've been following how would you describe it mark chaos magic chaos magic yeah no, well thanks for that mark that's kind of given me some food for thought in terms of my structures because i've been a little bit it's very hard to manage all the jobs mm. in for, involved in finishing a film um but i have also uh, been involved in getting another film started of course i've just wow yes of course i've just uh, in more of a production role but um which the, looks fantastic and fascinating in itself it looks uh, yeah so the, the so it, the 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 story is uh, somewhat connected to free party um as in it's got a great origin um in the uh, the guy andrew uh, who was one of the editors on free party who kind of i got started with the film in a way he he, he was also there in some of the sort of 90s uh parts of the story filming with a camera he was one of the few people with a camera in his hand um and at the same time he was also kind of uh, friendly with uh, this band called 2000 ds who were a uh, welsh kind of punk anarchist kind of band lived definitely outside of the, the conventional lives we all live at the start of the process of looking for footage he said oh I, i've got some friends in in bristol i could go and talk to i think they've got some footage and then he came back from bristol and i went round to his place and we and he said oh i've definitely got some footage for the film and i said oh brilliant but i've also got this and he opened up this suitcase and there was not just a few tapes there was i mean a lifetime's archive in this suitcase wow. an incredible incredible archive and i said to him at the time well, there's a whole film in that suitcase and it was for this specific band wasn't it for members of this band yeah yeah so so since kind of making that suggestion saying look you're the person to make it and i'll help you make it um i kind of you know said i'll i'll produce it and he can direct it and edit it and um that film is now on its journey uh because we we did a kickstarter campaign and uh, we managed to smash our um, initial uh, expectations and i think we were 175 percent funded and 
that was about a week and a half ago. So, um, so, you know, a little bit like you with your new script, it's kind of, you know, you don't want to finish one project and then spend a year mm. mulling what happens next. You, you kind of, uh, you know, and, and, and well, because I'm in a production role, it's slightly different, but you know, it's great to feel like one project is kind of, given birth yeah. to another project in some yeah. way uh, and i can kind of use all of the lessons that i've learned from from the first one that hopefully will be helpful in getting the second one off the ground and, and we, we're already on the way and we've got a few shoots planned and contributors are coming forwards and so um yeah i think it's a it's a sort of great example in a way of you know open one door and it opens other doors as long as you're you're mm. open to those doors being opened what a gift to see this suitcase full of footage because you think there's definitely a story in there and and it turns out that there is a very very amazing story yeah that that's been quite exciting over the past month to uh, see that kind of come to life and uh, hopefully another diy story very much a diy story uh, wow. waiting to happen well there you go Aaron. lovely to chat to you again as oh, amazing always, as yeah. always uh this which is episode 32 i think of the eyes what i worry about one day is that we'll be the same episode as we as our age and then they'll be like, oh, my God, we really have been here forever. When it's like, oh, and we're episode 55. We'll be like, oh, my God, we're now older than the uh, uh, on our actual age. But yes. it's a, no, I'm glad we've, we're back onto it. It's taken a little while for us to get here, but I'm sure the listeners will agree that there's been quite an interesting amount of things going on in yeah. the last five months. So, yeah, um, we've been fairly, um, fairly and we've got some plans own. for future episodes, which we are do, we certainly do. quite fun, aren't they? Which yeah. will probably take a little bit of a different format, potentially kind of uh, delving deeper into some DIY stories. All right, listeners, lovely to have you with us again. Love you, listeners. You're Love all you listeners. so lovely. Love yourselves. <laughs> Love yourselves, DIY. Love listeners. yourselves. Love yourselves up. <laughs> Follow us and join the cult. Today. On Instagram, we are DIY underscore cinema underscore cult. Seek out the DIY Cinema Cult group on Facebook and don't forget to press those like and subscribe buttons and follow us.